Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online simply by going to gracelife.church or on our YouTube channel. You can always find video content of all our messages as well as services for your preschool and elementary school kids. Heaven and Hell. Is heaven just a place where we sing forever in the clouds? Is hell really that worse? While many of us believe we know where we're going, we actually know very little about where we're going. Join us as we wrestle common questions and misconceptions about both heaven and hell, as well as host a special Q&A where we'll answer your questions. Text HHQ to 803-881-8000 to submit a question for the final week of the series. Now, join us as we discover more about what comes after life on Earth. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace Life. If you would do me a favor, put your hands together. Help me welcome those who are here for the first time, both in the room and online. So glad to have you guys worshiping with us. Hey, before I go any further, I want to point out that this Thursday is Thanksgiving. And so if uh, you are thinking, hey, I'm going to check out that Thursday service. It's the first service of the weekend. I I would love for you to do that. And you you didn't know it, by the way, if you're ever traveling or you have to work on a Sunday, our first service of the weekend actually is Thursday evening. It is just like Sunday morning, has all of the children's ministry, nursery, and everything. And if you are thinking to check that out, I'd say amen any day except Thursday this week because it is Thanksgiving. So there you go. You had your warning. If you show up, you'll be in the parking lot alone, uh, and I don't want that for you. All right, everybody, we're in a series. Uh, Today is actually part two, short little three-part series. We're right in the middle of it, and it's on heaven and hell. And uh, we're, we're going to finish the series next week by answering your questions. And so if you do have a question, here's how you get it to us. You simply text HHQ to the number on the screen. HHQ stands for Heaven Hell Questions. And so next week, we're going to do the best we can to answer as many of your questions as possible because there, there simply is no way in the 30 minutes or so that I get each week to, to talk to you about everything that the Bible has to say about heaven and hell. Truth is, I'm probably creating more questions than answers in some cases, so that's why we do want to end the series that way. So go ahead and get those in. Uh, maybe wait till I'm finished talking today, because sometimes I actually will answer the question you had asked, but then uh, go ahead and text those. Looking forward to that. So look, um, I've also told you as we're going through the series, what I want to do is give you a recommendation of uh, some really simple books or something you can do if you do want to read a little bit more. So last week I gave you a recommendation on a book that helps you explain more of what the Bible says about heaven. And uh, since our topic today is hell, uh, that's going to be fun, isn't it? Everybody glad you came like, woo, let's go to church and talk about hell. That's got to be fun. No? Okay, well, anyway, I don't know. I'm kind of excited. It's like the only chance I get to cuss in church or something, you know, anyway. That was just, man, y'all got to laugh. That was a joke. I'm just just messing with you. But seriously, uh, here's a, a great book called Erasing Hell by Francis Chan. Unpacks a lot of what the Bible says about hell in such a simple, easy-to-read way. I want to encourage you to go and uh, get that if, uh, if you want to know more. So the, re- the reason we're doing this series is all about something that Jesus said that honestly is uh, some very, very serious words, and-, and we can't ignore them. Jesus said, look, there's going to be an end to this age, and, and I'm going to come back, and when I do, there's going to be a judgment. And in that judgment, some people are going to have eternal life, and others are going to have eternal punishment. 
Those are very serious words. If that's really going to happen, we do need to understand a little bit, if not a lot, about these. So let me share it with you. He said it for, for us. It's in Matthew chapter 25. It's gonna be on the screen right here for you. And he said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And, and he will place the sheep on his right, put the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Serious words, right? And so last week we began the series asking, what is heaven like? What is this eternal life that Jesus talked about? And chances are you discovered something new. You know, we all have this idea we're just gonna be like little uh, ghosts floating on clouds playing harps, and we discovered it's not gonna be like that at all. So if you missed part one and you uh, would like to know about heaven or plan to go there, then I wanna encourage you to go back and check out that message. Today we're going to deal with the, maybe the more difficult subject. Jesus said that some will go away into eternal punishment. So what is the truth about this idea of hell and eternal punishment? And that's what we're going to be talking about. I think every one of us has an idea of hell, and uh, we get it from things other than the Bible for the most part, just like our ideas of heaven. It usually comes from cartoons or movies or something else. And I grew up actually going to church pretty much every week, but my idea of hell didn't come from that. My idea of hell came from a, a memory that was seared into my conscience in uh, elementary school. And I, I guess somebody thought it was a good idea to take uh, all of us on a field trip about Christmas time to go see a Christmas story. And, and uh, it's the story of Scrooge, right? Now, look, there are many versions of this. Matter of fact, it seems like they make a new one every year. Is that just me or like they're constantly coming up with a new person that should be Scrooge? And so they're always making new ones. And so I have never been able to find the version that I'm about to tell you about. Uh, ever since then, but it would have to be like 30 years old at this point because I was very, very young in elementary school. So young, I don't remember if we actually got on a bus and went somewhere, like to a theater, or if we just walked down the hall to the auditorium. I, I don't really know which one it was, but I'll tell you what I will never forget. It was when the ghost of Christmas future took Scrooge and showed him what his future held. And, and well, they do this in every movie, but the way they did it in this version was, in my opinion, graphic and haunting. And maybe just because I was so young, maybe I would laugh at it today, I don't know, but I remember uh, just the, the sheer terror on Scrooge's face as he saw himself in this place that was supposed to be hell. And he had these massive heavy chains on him so much that he couldn't even move. And, and he was begging for relief. And the whole thing was red, like representing fire and heat and everything. And again, like I said, it may be funny now, but man, when I was a kid, it made me like scared. And I think we could all agree that uh, the idea of hell has to be one of the, the most controversial, uh, most disturbing, some people would even use the word most repulsive doctrines of the Christian faith. I know Christians and non-Christians, many would say, I, I don't like the idea of hell. I don't like the idea of eternal punishment. But the reason we're talking about this is because Truth is, it's not so much the question of whether or not we like them. The question is, are they real? 
If they're real, what are we going to do about that? And so, you know, that brings up the question, what is the truth about hell? Well, let, let's just back up a step. If we're going to know the truth about anything, let's back up to the step of how do we know anything about God, right? I mean, supposedly, we know that we can look around in nature and see there is a God, but if we want to know something specific about him and his nature, well, he's revealed it to us. He says he's revealed it to us, and so the only thing we know to be true about the individual aspects of God are revealed right here in his word. And so if that same God says that there is an eternal life, and there is an eternal punishment, and he has deemed it to be so, then the only thing that we can know about truth of those is also found in his word. And so that's where we're going today for our answers on what is the truth about hell. And I'm going to take the exact same format that we took last week talking about heaven. The first thing we're going to do is talk about what hell is not, because we have a lot of ideas that we need to remove from our thinking due to cartoons. And uh, then we're going to talk about what hell is, and then we're going to wrap it all up with what hell means to us now. So first thing as we begin today, what hell is not, it is not Satan's kingdom. And that's the first thing that kind of surprises us if you did grow up looking at cartoons. I grew up back when they actually delivered newspapers to your house, and so as a kid, you didn't care about the newspaper, but you loved the comics. And one of the comics, my favorite, one of my favorite ones was The Far Side. Does anybody remember The Far Side? You're like, yeah, come on, there you go. I saw all the old people in the room. That's okay, we're, we're together. But they used to also make these little far side calendars. They were little square ones, and you could tear one off every day with the date. You get to see a little far side cartoon. Anybody else like me, though, you got the far side calendar on your desk, and then you'd have a moment of boredom throughout the day, and you'd read ahead like a week. Man, the whole next week was such a letdown. You didn't have anything new to laugh at. But one of the greatest characteristics of the far side was how much fun they made of hell. Uh, it was comical place to be, and they made Satan uh, look like he was the greatest comic in hell. He was always walking around with like this little evil grin on his face, and he was poking people with a pitchfork and laughing at their misery and making all kinds of jokes and whatever. Uh, the problem is that is not at all in line with what Scripture says about hell. Hell is where Satan and his demons will be captive. They, they will be tenants. They are not in charge. Satan is not walking around with a pitchfork poking anyone who is unfortunate enough to be there. No, actually, they will experience punishment, not be in charge of it. The second thing hell is not, it is not made for humans. Come on, can somebody say amen to that one? Look, we just read this a minute ago when Jesus was talking. He said, then he said to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, not prepared for us, but prepared for the devil and his angels. And this really helps us begin to reconcile and answer one of the most difficult questions we'll ever ask. And that is, how can God be good and still send people to hell? Well, we can begin to answer that question by remembering he didn't make hell for us. It was not his intent that we would be the tenants there or captive there. The third thing that hell is not very important is merely away from God's presence. Look, many of us have said this. We, we've just fallen into the trap. It sounds good because somebody said it to you when you were younger and you asked the question, you know, how could God be good and send people to hell? And well, you're inviting somebody to church, and if they've never been to church often or if they don't want to go, one of the objections they usually raise is this idea. Well, I, I don't want anything to do with a God who would send people to hell. And so in our effort to make hell sound a little bit better and God to sound a whole lot nicer, 
One of the answers that I was given in college and then I adopted before I had theology class, and then I would use the same answer when I tried to invite somebody to church and they would raise the objection of hell. I was, oh, look, hell is just what God gives people who don't want to be with him. Hell is just a place where he is not there. They live their lives not wanting God, so God just gives that to them and it's just being away from God's presence. Anybody ever heard that one before? You maybe even kind of said something like that to hope that they would buy that and come to church with you for Easter. Well, the problem is that's not what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. They will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The Bible also says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And what we don't get sometimes are some attributes of God that can't be broken. One of those is that he is omnipresent. And what that means is he is present everywhere. There's nowhere that God is not. There's not a where that you can get away from him or his presence. And so what that means is, yes, his presence will exist in hell. No, they will not have his fellowship presence in a relationship that you and I have. So there is something a little broken about it, but the idea that hell is a coffee shop that simply doesn't have God is severely wrong. We we don't need to try to make hell sound better than it is. We need to make hell sound exactly like the Bible says it is. The second thing about God's attributes that we, we need to bring into play right here is the fact that God is in sovereign control of his creation. Sometimes we, we think that God is going to kind of be like one of the uh, parents. You know, some of us as parents, we have teenage children. And if you've ever looked in the bedroom of a teenage child, you wonder, how do they live in that place? What kind of animals are also living in that place? You know, I mean, you look at that pile of clothes, I swear that pile of clothes just moved when I glanced at it. And, and so sometimes parents just simply close the door and say, that's your world. I want nothing to do with it. I'm not responsible for it. I will not go in it. I will not clean it. I will not paint it. It is yours. It is your problem. You can rule and reign in that place. And many people have the idea that that's what God does for Satan and hell. And that's the way the far side makes it out to be. God just shuts the door. Satan goes, oh, yippee. I get my own room. I get to do whatever I want. Hey, let me find somebody to stab with a pitchfork. But God is in sovereign control. He will be the one in charge of what takes place. So if that messed up your thinking, let's talk about what the Bible says hell is because that probably did stir up something, right? Well, here's the first thing that hell is. It is real. Hell is real. Look, many Christians and non-Christians have made every effort as well as simply prefer to believe, some even teach, sadly, that hell is a myth. But Jesus taught on it as though it's real. And so if you'll allow me, I'm going to walk you through a little bit of a nerd moment. If there's any nerds in the room, they're going, oh, yippee, goody, goody, goody. But everybody else is like, oh. But here's the reason that I need to take you through this nerd moment. There are actually people writing books today, some of them with theology degrees, some of them even with the name pastor, that are writing books trying to erase hell. That's not what that book does, by the way, even though that's its title. Uh, And they're using this nerd moment that I need to share with you to try and twist the words of Jesus to say that there was no hell. 
or there is not one now. And I want to walk you through the reasoning so that you are not deceived by this lie. If you were to pick up one of these books, if you were to hear one of these sermons, if you were to watch someone on a talk show, I I want to give you the background behind what they are doing very, very incorrectly. Is that okay with everybody? So here's your nerd moment, but it's, it's really important. And what they do is they take the word that Jesus used in the original language for hell, and that was Gehenna. And the word represents the Valley of Hinnom, which was located right outside of the city of Jerusalem. And so when Jesus came and he used this word Gehenna, what came to mind for them was that place. Now, what's really important for you and I to understand today is when we read the words of Jesus and we look at the word he used, we can't put an American understanding from 2,000 years later back on top of that. It doesn't make any sense. We also can't pick up any understanding along the way like the medieval ages or something else. What we have to do is go back to where Jesus was and try to understand the people that he spoke to. Jesus was a first century Jew speaking to first century Jews. He used words that made sense to him that his hearers would understand. And there was a very specific context. If you were to go and read one of these books by Uh, one of these pastors that's trying to remove the idea of hell, turn it into a myth. What they try to tell you is that the word Gehenna and the Valley of Hinnom simply represented a garbage dump. The problem is this idea of the Valley of Hinnom being a place where they merely tossed out their garbage didn't occur until over 1,200 years after Jesus. And that's the first reference of it. So there's no way that when Jesus was referring to the Valley of Hinnom, he was just referring to this dirty place outside the city. But what they try to say is since this represents a garbage dump, a dirty place outside the city, God in his goodness isn't going to send anyone to a place with punishment. God's just simply going to tell them they're not allowed in the holy city where his presence is. He's simply going to put them outside of his presence in a dirty place outside the city. Now, first of all, this doesn't line up with scripture nor make any logical sense if you were here for part one when we learned about heaven. We learned some very important things, and that is that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth because God is going to remove every stain of corruption and sin that has taken place in all of his creation. New heavens, new earth. And in this new heavens is a great new city of Jerusalem. It's huge. We talked about it in part one. And it is going to come down and rest upon the new earth. And the believers are going to have glorified, perfect bodies, no more sin, perfect souls, no more sin. And we are to go in and out of this beautiful city where we're going to worship God. But as we're leaving this city, we're also going to go and be upon the new earth that is supposed to be free from all sin and corruption. The idea that God is going to take every wicked person who ever lived in all of human history and simply throw them outside of that city and put them right back on this brand new earth with no corruption defies every reason for making a new earth without corruption. And furthermore, if we were to continue reading in Scripture about this new city, it tells us that that it's going to have gates that are never closed. Never closed. And, And that there's going to be no corruption ever entering it. No one unclean will ever enter it, which doesn't make any sense if you totally surround the city with everyone who's ever been wicked and corrupt, right? Because what is going to keep them out if the gates never close? Oh, wait a minute, I get it. They're just going to do what God says. That was funny when I did that Thursday night because everybody figures out that makes no sense that all the people who have never done anything God said are suddenly just going to hang out 
in this garbage dump. But furthermore, that's, again, a thousand years past the time of Jesus. What did it actually mean when Jesus spoke? You see, when Jesus used the reference to the Valley of Hinnom, he knew what every first century Jew knew, and that is what their scripture said, coming from the time of Jeremiah the prophet. You see, actually what had happened is the people of God sadly had fallen away, and they had started worshiping other gods. One of them was named Moloch, and another one was named Baal. And in their worship in the Valley of Hinnom, they started child sacrifice, one of the most deplorable things to God. And so God sent his prophets to say, I will punish you for this horrific crime that you commit by killing your children in worship of these false gods. And so what every first century Jew knew was what God had always said, is there is a place where God will punish people for their sins. When Jesus showed up and used the word Gehenna, which referred to the valley right outside the city, he meant there will be a place where God will punish people for their sins. And every first century Jew who heard Jesus speak knew, oh, there is going to be a place where God will punish people for their sins. And if we were to go one more step in understanding Jesus, one of the things that Jesus was most famous for in his preaching was to correct their misunderstandings. Matter of fact, his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, has a whole lot of this kind of language where he says something like, well, you have heard it said, but my father says. You thought it was, but my father says it should be. And he corrected all of their misunderstandings, and he did this all throughout his time in ministry. He corrected what they thought it meant to be right with God. He corrected what they thought it meant to worship in truth. He corrected their ideas of of marriage and divorce. He corrected their ideas on heaven. He corrected their ideas on everything except hell. They believed it was a place where God will punish people for their sins. And Jesus actually affirmed it and did not correct it. Matter of fact, these are the kinds of things Jesus said about hell. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace, not the garbage dump. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He also said, but I I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He also said, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? If this is our savior, if this is the one who is supposed to be truth in the flesh, the word of God, and he is coming and telling us that there is a place known as hell where there will be fiery furnace and there will be punishment, and that's not true, then the Son of Man is lying to us and can't be our Savior. The second thing about hell that it is, it is a future place of eternal punishment for the wicked. Now look, that's a a long sentence, and so uh, it's really important we understand all of that by taking it apart piece by piece. So let's go back and get the idea here of a future place. Again, if you were here for part one, we talked about how uh, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And what that means is we live on the present earth, and if we die, we go to the present heaven. But both of those will be replaced because of the corruption and the sin in the world, and God is going to renew them, remake them, and that's a debate we don't have to get into, but they will be new. And so it should be no surprise that the current place of punishment and awaiting that final punishment also is yet to be as its final form. And so maybe you've heard the word Hades 
uh, and you've thought, well, Hades is maybe just the Greek word for hell or something like that, or, you know, Hades is just what they use in another, another country or it's a synonym. Actually, Hades is the current version, the current place where the wicked go to await the final judgment in the final place, just as we go to heaven to await the final judgment as well. <clears throat> Maybe you've heard of the word Sheol. Sheol is in the Bible. It's a Hebrew word that simply means the grave. It also is not a synonym of hell because uh, it's, it's just the place where everyone goes. Everyone's body will encounter the grave. So what does that mean to us? Well, it says that in Revelation 20, then death and Hades, again, so the current place, were thrown into the lake of fire. That is the future hell. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So we know it's a future place of eternal. Let's move on to that word. And this is very, very important because this is one of uh, the things people try to do to make hell go away. They try to erase the idea of hell with a theory called annihilationism. And uh, if, if you wonder, it just means we're annihilated. And so what some people will tell you is that God would never punish people. So what happens is uh, when you die, you simply, poof, you just cease to exist. You're no longer there. You're just annihilated. Good news, you don't have any misery, but you're just done for. Hope you had a good ride on earth. And, and there's another version of it that says, well, God does punish you, but not for a very long time, but somewhat equivalent to the amount of sin that you've done. And then, poof, then you're annihilated. So you just decide which one of those versions the problem is, doesn't make sense with what Jesus said. We read earlier, Jesus said, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So for the same person to use the same word in the same context, in the same sentence, and to, to think that one of them means forever and ever and ever, eternal life means that we will be with God in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever and never ending ever. You guys with me on that? Why in the world would someone get the idea that when Jesus said eternal punishment, it was supposed to be temporary? The Bible also says, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. So look, I'm just going to go ahead and answer one of the questions that you might want to submit for next week, and we'll get it out of the way, and that is, why does it have to be eternal? And that just seems really mean. Well, the answer is because we're eternal by design. We were not intended to die. Death is a result of sin. And so our nature is to be with God forever. And the second part of that is our offense against God is not an offense in a moment, it's not an offense in time. We think in time because we're humans, but our offense is not a, a mark on a calendar. It is a mark against God's nature, and God's nature is eternal. And, and so we tend to think in time like if I were to, to do something and, and hurt Steve's feelings on Tuesday, it'd be like, well, Steve, I need to apologize for Tuesday. Everything would be put in time, but we need to think of it differently. We need to think of like if you scratch your car, Okay, you have a scratch on your car, and it, if you did it on Tuesday, it doesn't go away on Wednesday. Matter of fact, it's going to be there forever. And when we have offended God's eternal holiness, it's not about the day that mark occurred, it's the fact that we have offended something all throughout eternity. Does that make sense? And so that is why it is eternal. Let's move on, a future place of eternal punishment. This is another one of those theories to soften hell or to make it sound a little bit better. 
And it's the idea that hell is not for punishment. Hell is simply for reform. Hell is where we get a second chance, and it's something called post-mortem conversion. Maybe you've heard of that. The problem is it contradicts Scripture. Here's what the Bible says. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. And people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. You see, Scripture is affirming to our nature. We are not going to get to that point and suddenly discover the goodness of God when we have missed it so far along. Matter of fact, if you could get to that point and you could have an argument with God and say, well, 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 I deserve a second chance, his answer would be, you had one. You see, all of us have had a second chance and a third chance and a fifth chance and a tenth chance and a one thousandth chance and probably a one millionth chance. Because we had our first chance the day we were born to have perfectly pure thoughts, to, to be perfectly pure in our actions, to always do things that were loving and kind and honor the nature of God and everything. But somewhere between our first day and our second day, we were selfish and we screamed and cried, I don't care about your sleep, mother, I'm hungry right now. Why? You know, we, we were selfish from the get-go, right? And if, if you think that babies deserve a pass, that's fine. Just go get a two-year-old. Somewhere it's not going to take you long to figure out. We're, we're pretty broken and sinful. And, and so the point is, God will look at you and say, every day, every day you had someone preaching to you about my goodness. You could have turned on a television and you could have, you, your phone, it was with you everywhere. There were countless podcasts of churches preaching or, or pastors talking about who I am and my goodness. Everywhere you went, you could have sat on a beach and heard about me. You could have been flying in a plane, driving in a car. Somebody was telling you every day about me. Every day as you drove in your car, you could turn on the radio and there was a free Christian radio station telling you about me. Every day you traveled and you could have stayed in a hotel and in every one of those hotels was a Bible in the drawer. It was always there and it was free if you wanted to take it with you. Every day you were surrounded by Christian bookstores and Bibles and things online that were free. Every year you had this thing called Christmas and a preacher always stood on stage and said, it's not about the gifts. It's not about the presents. It's not about the feel good, it's not about the family. Although I love my family at Christmas and I'm so glad we get to do that. But they would tell you it is about a Savior coming into the world to keep you from this place. Every day, you had so many second chances that only God could keep up with actually which number we're on. Hell is not a place for changing minds. It is in this life and in this life only that we honor God as God to determine the next. And so the last part of that sentence, a future place of eternal punishment for the wicked. Man, uh, so far that's been pretty intense, hasn't it? So right now some of you just go, woo, thank you, Jimmy. Oh man, that's so good because finally something that doesn't scare me. I'm not wicked, man. I've, I, I don't kill people. I've got no bodies buried in my backyard. And well, if they're there, at least I didn't put them there, you know, and I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And so at least we're not talking about me. Unfortunately, we are, because when the Bible uses the word wicked, it's referring to those who do not honor God as God and follow his ways and are not right with him by their own merit. Matter of fact, this is what the Bible is going to say about us at the end. 
Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. We read that. And then it says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, at that final judgment, what the Bible tells us is there are going to be books that are opened, and there are the books that record every one of our works. And unfortunately, I promise you, no matter how good you are, there is something in that book that says you've offended the nature of God. There is something that was sinful. It was a bad day, a bad attitude, a bad thought. Most of us, we're going to have a pretty long list. And as they begin to read from the book of works about you, what's going to happen is if your name is in the book of life, when they get ready to read your list of works, there's going to be an angel who says, nope, their name's in this book. You don't have to read that. And the way that our name gets in the book of life is very simple. We recognize Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And his righteousness, his death on the cross, replaces all of our works. When God looks at the list of works, all he sees is the name Jesus written across it. That's what matters. And so that leads to the third thing about hell, and that is without our names in the book of life, it is our automatic destination. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I want to remind you, this was not God's intent for humanity. Hell was not made for humans, as we already said. It's made for the devil and his angels. But sadly, just as the devil went his own way, rejected God's way, and said he would do what he wanted, some humans have made the same choice. And so some humans will spend eternity with the one they've served instead of the God of heaven. Now, who wants some good news? Because if all of that helped you, I'm happy. But what I really want to help you is everything I'm going to say from this point forward. The most important things that I'm going to say today are from this point until I close. So the fourth thing that hell is, is avoidable. Come on, somebody. Who's excited about that one? Hell is avoidable. None of us can be without sin, but all of us can be without paying for our sins with our own life. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God remains on him. This removes the final objection that people have to hell. Their, their final theory to remove hell is an idea called universalism. There are even some places you can go and worship on Sunday mornings in America called universal churches. And uh, I, I hate that they use that word because the church is supposed to be the body of Christ. And they're, they're being very, very misled. Because this idea of universalism is that somehow, just somehow, out of the goodness of God, just everything is going to work out, and the love of God will override everything else like the justice of God and the words of God, and everyone will end up in heaven. I would love for that to be true, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you love to believe that we're all going to have eternal life, fellowship, glorified bodies, glorified souls, we're going to be Everyone is going to be able to walk the streets of gold in heaven and experience that perfect fellowship with God that they missed out on. What? Man, that'd be great. Man, I'd, I'd, I'd have to preach a little differently for the record. My job might be a little bit easier. Hey, we're all going to the same place. I don't have to preach as long. Let's just go have lunch, everybody. I mean, my, it'd be a whole lot easier. 
Problem is, you may want it to be true. I may want it to be true. But Jesus doesn't believe it to be true. Nothing that he said lined up with that. You put that verse back on the screen. The reason I used that verse, John 3, 36, instead of maybe one like John 3, 16, the most famous verse probably in all the Bible, in all the world, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish. It's because we misunderstand the idea of believing in God. You see, if you look at that right there once again. It says, whoever believes in the Son, well, he will have eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. It, it puts believing against not obeying. Because what we are supposed to understand is that to believe in the Son is not to believe he was a human that came and was on the earth 2,000 years ago or that there was a man named Jesus or that someone died on a cross. Lots of people actually died on a cross under Roman rule. It is to believe in him as the Son of God, as the fulfillment of God's revelation upon the earth, as the one true way to the Father, as the one who sacrificed his life for us. It, it, it all comes together. And to recognize that if we believe he is the Son of God who was the embodiment of, of God's nature and revelation upon the earth, and it's not just that we believe he, he was there, but we actually make him our king. And we surrender. And there are actually some life changes that come out of it. Look, I've got four kids, and they're around here somewhere. One of them's back there in the booth right now, and one of them's probably backstage. They're all around the building. And you could go and find any one of my children and say, do you believe he's your dad? And they would all say, of course I believe he's my dad. And they'd make some joke about they're either too short and it's my fault or something else, you know, they, they like chocolate too much or whatever. It, it, they would believe I'm their dad. But they don't do everything I say. Come on, parents. You see, there's a disconnect between believing in someone and giving them the rightful place of authority in their life. And sadly, there are some believers in the world today, even some non-believers, that believe Jesus was a person, but they don't understand that it means to obey him. Hell is completely avoidable. And so that leads us to what it means to us now. First one, receive the free gift of salvation personally. This is where I will share John 3, 16. For God did so love you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to the most horrific death that humanity has come up with. That he watched him experience that pain so that whoever would believe in him as the son of God, as the savior, and respond to him as king would not perish, but would have eternal life. And so that leads us to the final point of what hell means to us now is to pray and share with urgency. The truth is, there are some who think they're headed to heaven, but they're not. There are some who think hell is not real and they're wrong. And you may say, well, I understand that's true about some of those people that I work with or some of my neighbors or something. I mean, you've all got a coworker that's like Satan's cousin anyway, right? You're like, well, man, he's just going home. That ain't my fault. I mean, the dude can't get away. You know, the apple falls not very far from the tree there. You know, I mean, he's just going back where he belongs, man. That's not my problem. 
But we're not just talking about the coworker that you think is Satan's cousin. Sadly, we're talking about some of us. Because we don't understand what it means to receive the free gift of salvation personally. Matter of fact, some of the most sobering words Jesus said were, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, those will. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and serve on the parking lot team in your name and go to that building once a week and carry a, a really big book that supposedly you wrote and leave it on the dash of my car so people will think I'm a good person. Didn't we do all of this? And he will say, I never do you. Depart from me. You've all heard me preach this before. Jesus is not going to be in heaven going, oh, wow, I didn't know you existed. That's not what that means. What that means is to have an intimate knowledge of you and you of him. He's going to say something like, yeah, you went to that building every week and you knew a lot about me, but you didn't know me. We didn't have a thing. You ignored your second chance and your third chance and your 100th chance and your 1,000th chance to recognize you needed my death to pay for your sins. And, and you, you never embraced it. So look, if you're a person who, who grew up and look, it, for where we are, we have people online all over the world, but most of us, us here, we're in the Bible Belt. Because we're in the Bible Belt, we tend to think we're all going to heaven. A lot of people in the Bible Belt go to church, and they think going to church gets them to go to heaven. They think being born in a Christian nation. Well, I'm an American. It's a Christian nation, so therefore, I guess I'm going to heaven. And we misunderstand. What every one of us has to do at some point in history is surrender to Jesus and make him our Lord and Savior. Because apart from that, the day of judgment, every one of us will stand there. The only question is, is your name found in the book of life because of Jesus and you are put to his right? Or your name is not found and you are put to his left to have your works read and then your life has to pay for the unholiness. I'm gonna close with a quote from this book, Erasing Hell. Francis Chan says, if the Bible does teach that there is a literal hell, awaiting those who don't believe in Jesus, then this reality must change us. It should certainly purge our souls of all complacency. We need to stop explaining away hell and start proclaiming the solution to it. And to that I say amen. I, I talk to people all the time, and, and you probably have too, and maybe it used to be your objection, and you try to invite somebody to church, and they raise the objection of hell, and they completely miss God's solution to it. They, they are so caught up on the reality that there will be a punishment for the unholy, that they miss out on the fact that God has made a way for every person's sins to be paid for. They miss out on the love of God because they do see that there is a truth about the end. I want to encourage you, if you're here today, don't let the truth about the end cause you to miss seeing the love of God that can change the end for you. We don't need to worry about making hell look better. We need to 
make sure people understand the truth about the love of God, what he's done for you. And so as, as I close today, I, I want to make it very clear. The point of this message is simply because there are people going to heaven, people going to hell, and we really don't know much other than cartoons. And today was just to make sure we understand the truth, what the Bible actually says. But the point was never to become one of those fire and brimstone preachers that scares you out of hell. And because you notice I didn't beat on my table enough and I didn't shout enough and I didn't spit on the front row enough to be a good fire and brimstone preacher. Y'all are thankful for that, I'm sure. Because we talked about heaven and said, if you get there and your world is perfect and there's no sin and your body is whole and the streets are gold, but there's no God, is that enough for you? Well, look, if the only thing you ever had was scared out of hell, your answer is yes. I don't want to just scare you out of hell. I want to lead you to the love of God. I don't want you to be in heaven saying, well, at least I'm not burning in hell. But y'all keep me away from that guy because I never really got to know him. The point of today's message, look, if the reality of hell awakens you to your need for the love of God, then amen. But you, this isn't about being scared of hell. It is about seeing the goodness and the love of God. And so if you have never made Jesus your king, if you are not 100% sure that if that moment for you were to occur right now, that your name is in the book of life, I wanna help you change that. Wherever you are, you're in the room, you're online, if everybody would pray with me. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I want to live for you. I thank you that my eternal future has changed. I thank you that I am so loved by you that I am completely forgiven. In my prayer today and for every day until I see you face to face is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.